Hallelujah. Now, you'll stand with me and turn into your Bibles. If it's possible for the video man, who also I get to call son. If he can do it, if not, that's all right. I didn't tell him. See, that's my own fault. I didn't even tell my son what scripture I was going to use this morning. But if you want to turn in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23, I will give you a moment to get there. If you're not able to, and if they're not able to get it on the screen, it's my apologies, my mistake. You'll just have to take me for what I'm saying. But I promise it's there. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, as Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. And he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Hallelujah. If you'll put your Bibles down and give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Father, Lord, we love you. And we praise you and give you glory. We exalt you. We thank you for your presence being here. What you've already done. Help me to speak your word. Help it to be received in its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I come to preach today about the word above the law. Above the law. Now, I remember growing up as a young man in the 80s and the 90s. I'm halfway old, I guess. We said not quite young, not quite old. Somewhere in the number there. And I remember watching some action movies as a young man that would have like Bruce Willis or Sylvester Stallone or Chuck Norris. And they all were very much the exact same movie, same plot. They maybe have a different location, um, different, they were maybe had a different job or whatever, but it was pretty much the exact same plot. They were good guys, and they would try to obey the law, obey the rules, but somehow the bad guy was just so conniving and so cunning that the law would let the good guy down. He had stood for everything that the law meant, and he'd stood and stood, and he couldn't, but the law couldn't help them, and the bad guy had let them down. So the good guy did what every good guy had to do in those action movies. And like the guy would say in the uh, trailer, he would go above the law. He had to capture the baddie. He had to save the girl. He had to take care of the town, free the kids, and they all lived happily ever after. Roll the credits. And it's quite comical. The names different, locations different, sometimes even occupations. I think one time there was one where the guy was like a hockey goaltender or something like that, but he had to save the game or something like that. They all knew the rules, and they found a point in time where the rules, they just weren't enough to defeat the bad guy. They had to go above and beyond, no matter what, to be the hero at the end. The end, make sure you pick up the trash and throw it out before you leave the theater. Now, I want to make sure, be very, very clear, I'm not denying the law. I'm not being a heretic. We talk about the law. We teach about the law. We preach about the law. It is our written word of God. It is our sword and it is our truth. Matthew 5 and 18 says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. This is it, lock, stock, and barrel, church. There is no other. This is how I know what is right and what is wrong. 
This is how I know who I am and where I'm going. I don't have to worry about that. This is my lane, and this is how I know how to stay in it. What my calling is. And this is where I know that my victory lies. I know it comes from this word. I read it, and I know that it's real. Sometimes you may not be able to define what it is, but you cannot deny when the word becomes real in your life. You cannot deny it when the word shows you your healing and it comes real. When your salvation comes real. When your victory becomes real through the word. And there is no other collection of words, of chapters, of sentences and paragraphs in any other shape and form that has a living transformation of healing wonders and internal glory as this word. As this truth. Hallelujah. So I'm assuming that we can all agree together this morning and we can all glorify God for his word today. Amen? Amen. Amen. We can all thank him for this blueprint of direction. Amen? This source of glory and faith for victory. Can we all praise him this morning for our swords? Hallelujah. Can we give him a hand clap of praise? Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us our direction, for giving us our template, for giving us this sword. Hallelujah. Because we need this word. We need this direction. Because if we did not have this direction, we'd find ourselves lost and astray. See, sometimes between my ears, I kind of find myself not knowing the answer. Even though I can answer tests like nobody's business. Often growing up, I would get in trouble quite a bit. Probably not a big surprise to some folks. But a lot of times when my parents would ask me, Will, why in the world did you do that? Most times I wouldn't say, well, because I was angry, because I was mad, or because I wanted to. 99% of the time, the answer was, I don't know. I don't know. I just did it. I didn't think about it. I didn't think about the repercussions. I didn't think about the pros or cons. I didn't write it down on a sheet of paper and draw the line. I didn't think about the ramifications of it. I just did it. Guess what? As adults, most of the time when we make mistakes... The answer is, why did you do it? I don't know. I thought at the time it was a good idea. I felt like it. Seemed right. But praise God that I have my sword. And I have my blueprint. I have my commandment for truth. So when I don't know where to go, and I don't know where to turn, and I don't know my answers, I can find it there. And I know my eternal life. And as I read it, I begin to realize... It's impossible for me to completely adhere to it in perfection on a daily basis. It tells me that for me to have a pure relationship with my God and creator, I have to be perfect. Because God is perfect. He knows no sin. And he can't be near it. In simple rules and commandments that my Lord has required for me to be able to call me his, I have failed to obey the law. In reality, if you want to put up in the post office the 10 most wanted, I could be there. Matthew 22, 35 through 40 says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. Confession time, brothers and sisters. 
I would be lying if I said that since I was born again that I've always loved the Lord with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind. Much like when you hear couples who divorce and say, I still love them, but I'm no longer in love with them. In moments of flesh and in foolishness and in weakness, you know, sin, I did not love Christ completely in me. Because if I had, I wouldn't have done those things. Nobody forced me to sin. The devil did not make me do this. I did this. I chose it. I chose that direction or I chose that indirection. When I knew what I should have done, when I knew where I should have been, when I knew what I should have said, and I didn't. So I was disobedient to the law. And the second one, love thy neighbor as myself. Well, there are times when I haven't even loved myself at all times. So how could I even possibly have loved my neighbor? So I've messed those up multiple times. Lost count. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go thee therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. We know his name is Jesus. So we know we're supposed to be going and doing these things, teaching into all nations, going and speaking to people and prophesying the word of God. Well... Lord, if you want me to be honest with you, because you already know it, I have not done 100 on that all the time as well. People I get along with that want to hear me and come asking me and agree with everything I say, oh, yeah, you bet, man. Lock, stock, and barrel, I'm done with that. I'm good. People come banging on my door, Brother Will, please tell me everything about Jesus that you know, and I'll agree with everything you say. Ooh, nailed that. Check it off. But the folks that I can't stand the people that annoy me, that want to question and argue and deny everything that I say, that just don't agree with my viewpoint, I guess I don't really get a pass on that one now, do I? Because if I haven't obeyed my law, what does the law state about me? Well, John 14 and 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he that is loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest to him myself to him. So wait a minute. You're saying I don't love you? Because I do love you, Lord. I mean, I do. I mean, I know what your word says. I know that it says that if I do love you, and I profess this truth, and I claim it to be mine, and I shout it, and I dance, and I clap, and I sing amen, I did all those things like I did this Sunday morning. But then when I leave, and on Tuesday, I don't do those things. And on Thursday, when I deny those things. And on Saturday, when I argue about other people about those things, you know those other times when it's my real life living outside these four walls. And I didn't live it like I believed it or speak it like I believed it or shared it like I believed it. How can you say, God, you mean, I mean that I don't love you? I mean, I look the part, I dress the part, I speak the part. You mean I don't love you? Oh, hold on, it gets better. 1 John 2 and 4, he that, say, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him ouch Mm. hear that again church those that say I know him and keep not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in them so in saying all these things and reading all these scriptures and knowing yourself and knowing all of the humanity that hey man I can't be perfect I know that what this says 
that I believe this and I profess it and I stand upon this because this is the only way it can be. And then I find myself stumbling and falling and messing up so many times in so many ways and being so imperfect. And the word the law itself says, that makes me a liar. Then in my mind, in my trying to rationalize this and saying these things, it could be very easy right now to simply say, then what is the point, Pastor Will? Brother Will, what are we even doing here this morning? Because I know then all these commandments and laws and testimonies and scriptures that we commit to and profess to and know in God's living word, and we know that we cannot obey them perfectly on an even daily basis. Someone could rationalize in their mind and say, what is the point? Because the world will tell you that. What is the point? That if you can't obey this living word, what is the point? If it's impossible, what is the point? When your adversary says, look, you stumbled and failed, what is the point? When your own mind will press against you and say, you did it again, and you look in the mirror and tells you, what is the point? That we will fall, and when we fail, that means the bad guy has won, the guy in the black hat, the antagonist, the man, the adversary, the one, the evil, Satan, take your pick for his name for him. Because if that's the case, if this is the reality that we already know that the law cannot be upheld by man, that means that he's one, right? In reality, yes. But in truth, no. Methinks not so. Because like you, I've read the back of the book. I've read the last chapter. I've read how it all turns out. And the good news is that somehow, in some way, in some form or fashion, there's a great plot twist, and we know, all know that in the end, we win. In the end, Satan's defeated. In the end, we're all healed. In the end, we're all victorious. We are all overcome, and we're all forgiven. Somehow, some way, some form and fashion. How is that? Why is that? Because if the law is the law, and we're to obey it to get there, and we fail on it, how is that possible? You go back to the very first initial scripture. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, the very last part. Against such, there is no law. Against the fruits of the Spirit, there is no law. When Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, he was writing to a church that was battling in its adherence to the word. Not that they were being lax in it. Not that they were denying the truth of the word. No, it was quite the opposite. As they were converting to Christianity, they were adamant that for you to be a Christian, you had to live the absolute rigid living life of the law. And we don't deny the law. We don't deny the truth. But he was writing to Galatia that they said, if you cannot fulfill the law in its completeness, you are not Christ's. And if you can't do that, you're not in the church. And if you're not in the church, you have to be kicked out. So he did not deny the need for the law, but he, they were losing so many people because they could not be perfect. And that was a necessity in Galatia. Paul stated that this was not false teachings because the word is true, but that they were missing the fruits of the Spirit. And that law could not win souls. Law could not win salvation. It could not be weighed or judged or measured in the fruits of the Spirit. You cannot weigh love. 
You cannot weigh temperance. You cannot weigh goodness. You cannot weigh those things. It's impossible to measure those things. When God has been good to me time and time again, I can't count how many times he's forgiven me for everything I've messed up on. I cannot on the teeter-totter scales of life say how much more he loves me than me. Loving him. It's impossible. I will never measure up to his love to me. I'll never repay for what he's given to me. That's not possible. I cannot give the distance to hear him back to what he'll give back to me. What he's sacrificed unto me. What he's thought me worthy for. Even every time I mess up and I fail and I make mistakes. And the law says one thing. He's gone above the law. Paul wrote to born-again believers who had become hard and dead that if you were to live and manifest in these truths that when we fail, because we all would, that the mercy and grace of Christ would be there to cover us all. Because these hardliners, much like the Pharisees who missed out beforehand, missed out the good guy who went above the law in Christ. Jesus did not deny the law. In Matthew 5 and 17, he said, Think not that I come to destroy the law of prophets. I have come not to destroy, but to fulfill it. Because you can't, and I can't, and there's been no man, woman, or child who's walked this terra firma who could. But there's been one who could do what neither you or I could or any other human being has ever been able to do and be perfect, and that is Christ. Perfect in every word, in every action, in every thought. He knew no sin. He obeyed his godliness fully in his flesh, and he never faulted in it. He was tempted in all sin, knew all emotions, and yet he was excellent in all of it. And because of all of this, he was able to overcome the law. He was able to circumvent it and to exceed it. Therefore, it is the only reason why he was the unblemished, perfect lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't die for our sins because he could cast out demons. He didn't die for our sins because he raised people from the dead. He didn't die for our sins because he did some really awesome and wild stuff. The only reason he died for our sins is because he was completely perfect and could stand in our place for every one of our imperfections. Because he could stand in our place for every one of our faults. Because he could stand in our place for every one of our misdeeds so that we stand before God in judgment. He can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because somebody has taken on your sin. Because somebody's taken on your slain. Somebody's taken on your punishment. So therefore, because Jesus was able to go above the law, he was able to defeat the wicked one. He's able to suffer that death that we would not have to suffer due to law. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15 it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is in sin and the strength of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I know I'm going to stumble and that doesn't make it okay for me to stumble. We're supposed to press towards the mark. So I'm not giving myself a get-out-of-jail-free card. But I know that when this time comes, that when I slip, that when I say something I shouldn't or did not say what I was supposed to, that when I put the bondage back on me, there's only one who can unlock it for me. 
There is no one else. There is no other thing, and there is no other substance. And that one thing is Christ. That one man is Jesus. That one spirit is his spirit in the Holy Ghost. And so I come to him in his word knowing that it's him, and it's him only. So, church, I come back to us today, here in this present forth, because of God's glorious love for us, his desire to have eternal relationship with us, and his ability to go even beyond his law. He's given us the fruit of his spirit where there is no law. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance that we are to exude to go above the law. Because we talk about the things of the law to obey, to do, to show. But yet all of these other things to go above and beyond. And yet when you show these things to people, people can't measure your love. People can't measure your goodness. When people want to qualify you and debate you as a true apostolic loving Christian, they can't measure that. They can't argue that. They want to argue doctrine with you? Hey, fine. But they can't argue when you love somebody. They can't argue when you're good with somebody. They can't argue with you when you're temperate with somebody when you're meek with somebody, when you forgive and you're merciful and you're graceful and you're peaceful with them. That can't be measured. It don't come in pounds, man. Because see, my wife and I were talking the other night and she said it took her finally 18 years to recognize us and I was like, what took you so long? I think I've known her for like 42 years. But when we discuss, she likes discussion. She likes thought back and forth. I like debate. Because, <laughs> see, this is the way my family was grazed. We, di- we don't discuss. We debate. Some of you might call it arguing. Because, see, the difference between the two parts is that when you have a debate, you push your points, and there has to be a winner. And the other person has to admit that you're the winner. I happen to like to win my discussions. Whereas she likes to just talk like normal people. But if you read the Bible, Christ could have very easily just stormed into every situation, every problem, every person's calamity, and just made his point. He could have debated everything and just said, do you know who I am? Do you know who you stand in front of? Have you not read the law and know who I am and be done with it? Let me speak to you the law and let's see if you can get it for a change. Because see, that's what the Pharisees did. Because they knew the word better than anybody. And all they liked to do is debate, 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 debate. And they wanted everybody to agree that they were right. And maybe this part was just left out of the Bible. But what I don't see is a Pharisee ever winning somebody. What I don't see is anybody ever being transformed by a Pharisee or healed by a Pharisee or refreshed or restored or delivered or getting victory through the Pharisee's debate of the truth. I never read that anywhere in my Bible, which they probably recited word for word. Could have maybe given you a couple different translations of it through a couple different languages. But nobody's life was born again. But what did Christ do? He came and he loved. He was kind and he was patient. He was gentle. He was good to those who were not kind and gentle and good. He made time for those who he really shouldn't have had time for. And when he displayed himself as such, there was a drawing near of others. 
when they found those fruits and they said there is something different about him I've got to know this man I need to get near to him to see exactly what this is he could then show himself further in the supernatural and when those natural fruits of the spirit moved with the supernatural thus overcame the law and then there were very few times you can find Christ truly seek to debate with the scriptures. Most time he was debating with the Pharisees. He would often use it to prove who he was. However, in the most direct and fierce argument when he was tempted by Satan, Christ used the word of God. So we know the word of God to be true because Satan left without any response. He couldn't use it. But when it comes to humanity, when it comes to mankind, to our salvation, when it comes to our daily walk and our eternity with him, Jesus starts always with the fruit of the Spirit to draw us near. He always finds us that when we stumble, that he's temperate and long-suffering. How many times have I walked into my boy's bedrooms and said, I just told you to clean it up. I just told you to clean it up yesterday. And I'm about to call FEMA to come help me. <laughs> and there were some times it was not as long-suffering and as temperate. And he has never forced his will onto any of us. None of us levitated into our cars today. And the car did not drive ourselves into this place. None of us woke up saying, how did I get here? He brings peace and joy into our lives when all we've known is strife and pain. He has a faith in us that is absolutely amazing when nobody else has had faith in us. When even I've never had faith in myself to do things, Christ found faith in me that you could do this. You could go there. You could go beyond your normal realms because I have faith in you. And all of those things is because he has love for us. A love that a law cannot define. You can't say his love ends here. This is the end of the road. That's the end of the cliff. It cannot be described and it cannot be controlled because it is above the law. And the same goes for us today, church. If we're not in the true exhibition of the fruit of the Spirit, then we find ourselves in a state of death and decay. Because it does not take a gardener or an arborist to know that if a tree does not produce fruit or seed, it cannot live and it will end up eventually dying. If a plant does not yield its crop or does not blossom its flower, it is nothing more than a weed heading to its death. But Psalms 1 and 3 says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall also not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Today you have that opportunity to become above the law. Now I'm not telling you that the law is not legitimate. I'm telling you we need Christ because the law is legitimate. The law is real. We need a perfect Christ because we are so imperfect. And maybe you found yourself today lacking, straining, grasping, fighting in those areas of your life. Stand with me this afternoon. Maybe you found yourself fighting with what the law says about you. What you say about you when you look at the mirror and see what stares back at you. What you feel in your heart and what stirs in your spirit. Then I encourage you. I challenge you. I beseech you. Choose the words you want. Then today is the day to come and receive from the one who is above that. Who cannot be withheld. 
who cannot be constrained. And it cannot be judged. His love cannot be judged. His mercy and His grace cannot be judged. Never once has He withheld it from you. Never once has He given you just pieces of it. But He floods you. He engulfs you. He overwhelms you because He makes a way in every situation. He makes a way in every issue. If you're fighting with your flesh and if you're battling with your sins, if your adversary in this word has tossed you to and fro, I'm here to tell you today and tell you, you know what the word says. You know what the law has committed you to. It's already condemned you to an eternal prison. If you've read that word from the original sin, that's what we were committed to. But as soon as it happened, God already said, I will find a way for you. I will unlock that door. I will drop those chains. And I will give you a freedom and a liberty that will go above the law. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. No law. No law. There is nothing that can hold my God back. There is nothing that can restrain my Lord. And he can't hold you back, him back from you. Jesus has it for you today. Receive it. Accept it. Agree with it. Live with it in its fullness. Hallelujah. Will you come this morning or this afternoon? with whatever you've been dealing with, whatever's been judging you, whatever's been weighing you, whatever's been straining you and pressing you, because if you don't have anything straining or praying or holding you down, then you ain't living. You don't have a heartbeat. Somebody check your pulse. But with whatever restrains you and tries to fight you and say, you cannot do this. You cannot win. I'm here to tell you, Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you will. Oh, yes, it should. Because it's above the law. My God's above the law. Receive it today. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord.